I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many bad uh, What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with friends and people. Guys, you did it! You've arrived at episode 2 of Batman, the animated podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman, the animated series. Today's sponsor is the Crime Alley Playhouse. Take your mind off crime with some expensive make-believe. Before I dive into today's episode, I just want to take a second to thank all of you for listening. Uh, There have been so many people who reached out. You've tweeted and emailed and sent me telepathic messages to my mind. It's the thought that counts. Point being, the response has been way more positive than I could have ever imagined uh, for this weird idea that I thought nobody would listen to. So it means a lot to hear from fans across the globe. So that being said, if you like the show, please take a second, give us a rating and review in iTunes. It actually helps out quite a bit when you're a baby podcast like us. Think of it like this. You're giving us nutrients, little baby podcast milk to grow big, strong audio bones. You get it. That was a perfect analogy. No need to continue with that. Just send me milk. That's what I'm trying to say. Send me milk in real life. Don't send me milk. Also, keep tweeting at BTAS Podcast and at Hey Justin. It's been super fun nerding out with you guys over Twitter. Who would have thought the internet was a nice place? Okay, let's do it. Today, we'll be talking about one of the series' best couple of episodes, Two-Face, parts one and two. That's right, you're getting two episodes for the price of one podcast. What a deal! And you didn't even spend money in the first place. You must feel great. Later on, you'll hear me talk with one of my oldest friends, stop-motion animation guru and voice actor Harry Chaskin. He says stuff like this. I remember watching this and covering my eyes when they're taking the bandages off of him. Then, Harry and I sit down with Murphy Cross, the voice of Two-Face's wife, Grace, who says stuff like this. It was specifically authentic. You were supposed to be authentic. But first, let's check in with my trusty robot, who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. Get over here, Kevin Conroy bot. Hello, Justin. I did not expect that applause. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. I didn't think I could startle you. It's just a sound effect. The sound of what? A uh, sound effect? You know, something that seems like a real sound but isn't a real sound. But it sounded real, though it must be real. <sighs> well, it wasn't. But sounds like it's too much for your literal robot brain to comprehend, so let's just move on. What's today's nerd level for the show? Today's Batman nerd level is... Spicy meat a ball. Whoa, spicy meat a ball is pretty spicy. Sounds like there's going to be some serious analytical adult discussion about a cartoon aimed at 8 to 10 year old kids. 
You guys listening might want to rewatch Two-Face Parts 1 and 2, but you can still enjoy this if you haven't. Well, thanks as always, Kevin Conroy Bot. You are welcome, Justin. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am... How did a real cow get into my closet? Justin, I fooled you. It was just a sound effect. I got you good that time. I tricked you, you fool. <laughs> you got me good, Kev. Okay, get out of here, you scamp. I don't, I don't really like being pranked, especially not on my own podcast. Okay, sorry, bye-bye. Ah, what a robot, what a guy, what a robot, what a robot guy. He looks identical to Kevin Conroy. All right, let's talk Two-Face. Story is credited to Alan Burnett, teleplay to Randy Rogel, directed by Kevin Altieri, music by the incredible Shirley Walker. Guest voices include Richard Mall as Two-Face and John Vernon as the recurring gangster villain Rupert Thorne. You know, this guy. After all, the people of Gotham have a right to know the kind of person, or should I say persons, they've elected. A fun tidbit about John Vernon, he played Officer Mooney in one of my favorite cult horror comedies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So if you want to see live action Rupert Thorne, that's the place to go. Okay, that's about all I'm going to say about the episode ahead of time. Honestly, Harry and I dive into the full breadth of nerdy minutia once we get to the interview. But first, it's time for the title card game. Today's contestant, Fiona Landers. Murphy Cross and my dad, Matt Landers, were both in the Two-Face episode of this Batman series. Batman the Animated Series. On to the title card game. Hey, Fiona. Hey, Justin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. You don't know very much about this show. I do not. Your mom was on the show. My mom was on the show. Your dad was on the show. My dad was on the show. They were both in the Two-Face two-parter. Yes. It's crazy. It's a good two-parter. It's It's pretty cool. And they were both on opposite ends of the spectrum. She was a good guy. He was a bad guy. Oh, see? That was great. I did not know that. (laughs) You were also in one of the series. You were in an episode of... Batman Beyond. Do you remember what your character name was? I think it was Girl. It was just Girl. (laughs) Yeah. You were in a character, you were in an episode called Heroes. Yes. And you had the wildly descriptive character name. Girl. Girl. Uh-huh. Do you remember what Girl said? I I want to say that she maybe screamed, but I don't know. <laughs> so you did you maybe didn't say any words? I maybe didn't say words. I don't remember. How I, old were you? I was probably like 10 or 11, I think. Yeah, we need a girl to come in and scream. Yeah, I mean, it must have, it might have been something like that. Um... I don't, yeah, I don't remember if I had any, like, real lines or anything. I must, I mean, I either screamed or said one line. I don't know. What was it like to go in there and record when you were that young? Um, I remembered, I think, I can't remember which I did first, but I did, I, I did an episode of Animaniacs where I did have a big part. Ooh, um, who were you in Animaniacs? Um, it was an episode called The Kid in the Lid, and it was, like, based on Dr. Seuss. Um, it was sort of like the cat in the hat. And uh, and so that one, I played the little girl in that, but she had a lot of lines. So I don't remember which came first. So we're going to play something called the title card game. Okay. Uh, what I'm going to do is show you the title card to the episode that your mom and dad were in 
Okay. And you're going to describe to me what you think the episode is about. Great. This is this is an easier one. It's a pretty self-explanatory title. Okay. Great. All right. Toothpaste. Yep. It's very dark. It's very like spooky for a cartoon. It, he is he kind of giving a thumbs up? Or no, he's pulling it. <laughs> he's pulling a curtain back. What's he doing? Is that him? Is he giving a thumbs up? <laughs> the guy on the title card? Yeah, with he's kind of purple. He does have a coin thing floating above him. Oh, a coin. He's flipping a coin. Yep. Because yes. All right, I get it. Because Although I do like the version of it that's like <laughs> Toothpaste pulls aside a curtain and just gives a thumbs up. It's like we're ready to open the house. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Bring him in. It's for his performance. Um, but yeah, he's flipping a coin. That makes sense. He's flipping a coin because sometimes he's good and sometimes he's bad. I mean, I think I must know something about this. Where So there's a normal person, a normal guy. He's normal. Right, he's normal. That's <laughs> the one defining characteristic is he's normal. He's normal. And then, oops, got a weird bad side to him. And then, <laughs> oops. <laughs> yeah, something happened. Something happened. And... Now he's got um half of his face is bad. But like there that big there's a big chunk in between. Like that something happened is probably the crux of this episode. So what what happened to him? Okay. What do you think happened? <laughs> <laughs> Give me your top three predictions for how Two Face became Two Face. Okay. Uh he walked into a building and it exploded. <laughs> Just it was like a <laughs> spontaneous yeah. exploding yeah. building. A building exploded. That's your number one guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is this like a premeditated explosion? Like somebody wired it up or the building was just going to explode? No, it was just going to explode. Typical. Typical Gotham building. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe also another possibility is he lay down in something that burned his face. Okay. Um, Like uh, something with chemicals. Like a pond. A pond with chemicals. Okay, we were getting close, and then I think when we got to a pond with chemicals, we kind of veered a little farther okay. away. A spill, a spill of chemicals. Yeah, okay. We're we're in the yellow zone if we're playing red light, green light. This okay. is yellow. A a lab. Yeah, I'd say that's more of a green light. And it and bottles broke, and he laid typical da- bottle he lay break. down. <laughs> he lay down in the. What's your third guess for how Two Face became Two Face? Someone, someone. Threw a bucket of chemicals on him. <laughs> a bucket of chemicals on half of his face. We talking about somebody he knew? Uh, yes. This would be someone who got mad at him. Maybe he cheated on his wife or something. All right. So, so far, Two-Face, just a regular guy, a <laughs> normal <laughs> guy. Oops. Oops. His face changes, possibly because he walked into a building that exploded, yeah. possibly because he walked up to a pond with chemicals, uh-huh. or possibly he cheated on his wife and somebody threw a bucket of chemicals on him. Yeah, maybe she did, yeah. And then he became Two-Face. So what did he do once he became Two-Face? Then he was just like walking around really mad, and <laughs> uh, is he mad at Batman? Yeah, he definitely doesn't <laughs> like Batman. Now I just really want him to be opening the curtain and being like, all right, guys, like he's a house manager in a theater. <laughs> He's like, we're ready. What curtain do you think he said on the side of the stage? Yeah, he's just like, okay, thumbs up. We're all ready to, 
We're ready to open the house. In your mind, is he reformed at this point, or this is what Two-Face does in an alternate reality? Yeah, I'm like, now he's just adjusted to his life, and he's like, I'm just Two-Face. I'm giving up gangsterdom. I'm just Two-Face. I'm a house manager at a local theater. Community theater for a production of Jekyll and Heidi. Woo! Oh, man. (laughs) Thanks, Fiona. Thanks so much, Justin. Ah, another unsuccessful and therefore successful title card game. Thanks, Fiona. That was fun. Now it's time for the first interview. As I mentioned earlier, my first guest is Harry Chaskin. He's a stop-motion director and animator whose credits include Robot Chicken, Frankenhole, and Friendship All-Stars of Friendship, a series that I co-created with him and Dan Lippert that you can watch online for free right now. Actually, hold off. Watch it after the episode. I want you to keep listening. He's also been my best friend since the sixth grade, and we grew up watching this show together, so it feels particularly special to have him on. Hold on to your hats and glasses, folks, because we're headed straight for Interview City, USA. <laughs> I thought there would be no better person to bring on the podcast than one of my very best and oldest friends, Harry Chaskin. How's it going? It's great to be here. Great. See you later, Harry. Bye. <laughs> Uh, we'll check in with him in literally 30 seconds. Um, so the reason that I brought you on the podcast is God, I, not only to sound less authentic than when I talked to you in person, like five minutes ago, I feel like I've put on like a radio or like a, and I'm hosting a podcast. Kind We're of talking to you live about Batman, the animated series. We're friends who are comfortable with each other, but not enough when we're on microphone. So <laughs> the reason I did bring you on the podcast is uh, we, we've known each other since the sixth grade, and we both bonded over many things, but one of the things that we love is Batman, this cartoon in particular. Uh, and I, I just wanted to talk with you about it. I feel like it would be a good jumping off point to kind of dive into why we think this series matters. Yeah, I remember just when we first started hanging out way back in uh, 19... 19- <clears throat> Uh, you just coughed at, uh, over your age like you're an old man. <laughs> you're I'm, in your 20s. Yeah, but I'm doing that thing now where if I sit down or stand up, I make this ugh, noise. And it started as a joke, and now it's just like... That real, joke has turned into a reality? Yeah, it's a real thing that happens. But So you're willingly diving headfirst into being an old man from vaudeville. Basically. But what I remember about Batman, when we first started hanging out, you had like... All of these VHS videotapes. <laughs> yeah, there's a cabinet under the TV, and you had all these VHS tapes, home tapes, that you were like obsessively recording the show with your VCR and then writing like your own box, like liner notes. I had binder, yeah, I had binder art. Basically, I would take used V. Here's, oh God, this is a really sad thing. Uh, this is, I forgot about this until now. I, uh, I taped over either me or my sister being born with Batman the Animated Series. Like, I was like, well, I ran out of VHSs. I don't know if my mom knows that. I think she does. I think it, she it, does now. She does now. Um, she's hip to the technology. <laughs> she's not, she's not super old. She knows what a podcast is. Uh, yeah, I, I used to come home. I used to race home from school, and I think at that point it was on at like 3.30 or 4, maybe. I think it was on at 4, and I would race home and sit in front of the TV, like nose to the TV, and press record, and then pause it when the commercial started. So I would edit as it was going. I don't even know how I enjoyed 
the show. And then I would rewatch it again. Right. And that's what I remember because I'd come over and was like, oh, yeah, Justin's the guy with all the Batman cartoons without commercials. Yeah, there's no, you know, you couldn't fast forward uh, otherwise. There or... was there was none of the TiVo or the streaming or the, uh, if I'm doing it again. Yeah, you just went into, you willingly dove headfirst into old man. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that, so that's your memory of me as an obsessive compulsive <laughs> <laughs> pack rat. Well, of... upset with, with OCD to match my own while you were doing right. that, I was writing like, my own superhero stories that were just thinly veiled adaptations of Batman the Animated Series plots. I mean, it really had... It had a formidable effect on me from the first time I saw it. It's, yeah, it, it absolutely influenced who I am and who I what I want to do. I mean, it got me interested in voice acting. It got me interested in writing and, and working in animation in general and appreciating film. Yeah, definitely. It got me into film noir before I knew what film noir was. And, I mean, I think a big part of that, too, is the the, the idea that the show didn't pander to kids. Like, watching it now, and especially... Not, not that I don't watch it all the time, but even just, like, reviewing it for this podcast, I was struck by the amount of silence that it uses. Like, mm -hmm. the way it's paced the way it uses quiet and slow moments. Like, each episode, each of the best episodes really is paced like a mini-movie. Yeah, it's... that's what they feel like. They feel like mini-movies. I don't know if it's possible, uh, but it, they feel like they're longer than 22 minutes in a good way. It doesn't feel like... I don't know. It's unlike anything that's on today. I, f I feel like most animation is pretty frenetic and fast-paced and cutty at this point. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some sort of pushback on that because of what's happening. You know, we've had, not to say that any of it's bad, uh, but there's a lot of fast-moving stuff. And this this iteration of, this iteration of Gotham, is <laughs> what I was going to say, <laughs> uh, the, this series really did take its time, not yeah. only with character, but also, I mean, yeah, you could have a shot where a goon wanders through an alleyway and there's just billowing smoke from a, a grate and there's like 10 seconds of that. And that's sounds stupid, but that doesn't exist in a cartoon today as yeah. far as I know. And it's something, at least for me, that I'm hyper aware of now working in animation and cutting animatics. I guess and... I should mention that Harry is an animation director. Uh, he also <laughs> is an animator. He mostly works in stop motion, but has done all kinds of animation and directing and, and voice acting himself. So you, you're doubly fit to talk to this, to talk to this series about, <laughs> you know, guys, I'm working on being a host. Uh, usually I have somebody else to bounce off of. You're doing great. You're doing oh, great. Thank you. I, that's what I'm looking for. Once somebody says you're doing great, I'm just going to turn off the podcast and we're done. I'm just yeah. looking for the validation. But uh, just going back to pacing, because I could talk about pacing on the show for way too long. That's something... It's interesting. I feel like it changes over the course of the series, too, and it works for it and against it. Talking about episodes like Two-Face, they really do have that slow, deliberate pace, and for especially an episode like the first part one of the two-parter that's primarily a character drama that really works to its advantage. As it gets later in the series, I feel like it did get faster and cuttier, mm -hmm. and like some of the fight sequences later 
down the 108 episodes or whatever it is work better. But there's something about the first season that for me is always still going to be my favorite. It's because of how slow it is. Well, let's backtrack a little bit before we dive into Two-Face, because we will. I I just want to know in general, you've kind of answered this, but what is it that you love about this show? You love the pace. You love how dark it is. um, You like that it speaks to children kind of smartly is what it sort of sounds like. Intelligently, it's not treating kids as dumb. It's just throwing them into a world that may be a little darker than they're used to. Yeah, I mean, it treats kids as little adults. Like I said, it doesn't pander. I love the pace. I also just love the style. I don't know if I was really aware of it when I first started watching it as a kid, but it really did influence my own eye as an art director and a designer. Like, the whole dark deco aesthetic, the film noir, the... it It's just such a fucking stylish show it looks beautiful i love i love the world i love the timelessness of it the idea that you've got you know superhero technology and all of batman's gadgets that inhabit a world that also contains guys in trench coats and fedoras and black and white tvs and cars from the 1940s with the hoods over the tires like police blimps yeah i mean uh, it's absolutely style over function (laughs) a lot of the time it's like i mean a police blimp is the most inefficient way to do any police work yeah but uh damn it looks cool yeah i mean a lot of the stuff you touched on uh, dark deco is something that i'm not sure i had heard before i feel like they coined for this show yeah or at least that's a phrase that uh I had never heard attributed to anything else. I'd never heard it before either. If you look at the writer's guidelines, like the Bible that Bruce Tim and company created for prospective writers on the show, uh, it refers to the term dark deco, like on the first page. I think it's something that they, that they coined and it really does describe it. Well, it has a lot of like thirties and forties kind of architecture (laughs) and technology. I mean, like it really is this beautiful, it's, it's a heyday and it's a decline is really yeah. what it feels like. It's like got that beautiful, every build, I want to live in every building in Gotham. Right. Even a chemical plant looks amazing. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you got to think at some point, maybe they wouldn't have so many insane supervillains if they didn't have all these novelty factories with like giant statues of <laughs> evil clowns on top of them. Maybe that's why villains go all out in Gotham. They're like, well, the architecture is crazy and insane. Maybe we got to We got to step it up. Two-Face is like, well, I could get help for myself, or I could go work in that factory that's two-toned and split right down the middle. Yeah, actually, I think there's a tailor next door who can make me a badass suit that's white and black split (laughs) down the middle. Yeah, good thing Rupert Thorne's shell companies are all (laughs) two-themed, Gemini. Uh, All right, hold it, hold it. We're not diving into Two-Face yet, and I'll hold you back as long as possible. (laughs) I keep, I keep going to Two-Face, but... Well, Two-Face is, I mean, what is emblematic about the show, what I think lasts is... What's important about the show to me is that the villains are always showcased, and they were always a way into Batman's psyche. Uh, Batman, one of the, the interesting things about the show, and I hadn't thought too much about it as a kid... But Batman is mostly a character we don't know. It wasn't until Mask of the Phantasm and maybe a couple of other episodes in the series that we got like a full-on backstory. 
Yeah, Batman as a character, you know, he's always enshrouded in mystery, and I think that that this the animated series is no is no exception. But I think that's symptomatic of a lot of the pushback to the campy Adam West show. As much as I love that too, you look at the Burton movies from around the same time. Batman's barely in it, and right. Well, because to create a Batman is, I think objectively i'm gonna say something subjective after saying objectively (laughs) but in my brain objectively the coolest superhero there is whether or not he's your favorite superhero which he is mine uh and mine too is debatable but i think he is the coolest because they don't the creators of batman knew that you know like especially in the way that they showcase him in this series the less you see something, the more you want to know about them, the more interested you are. I think the more of a mystery you surround him with, the more formidable he seems. Yeah, and just the fact, again, going back to the idea of this being the coolest kid show ever and a kid show that you would never see, I think, under any other circumstances. He's never out in the daytime. He hardly says anything. He's terse. He's scary. And like you said, it's really the villains that are the showcase or the uh, <clears throat> kind of the viewers weigh into his psychology. Or at least the best villains. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing I love about the show. I mean, treatment of villains, especially, again, going back to the Burton movies, the villains always kind of overshadow Batman if you're not careful because Batman is so mysterious and you can't you can't get into him too much too quick. Yeah, they're but. anti-heroes <clears throat> more so than... I mean, like looking at Mr. Freeze, the reason people love Heart of Ice so much, which is its own conversation, is not only is he literally a cool villain, like people love ice people. You know, like ice villains are the coolest. Who doesn't love ice? Ice guns. But also, it was the first time that they had treated him like a real person and they gave him a backstory. Yeah, every villain, with few exceptions, on the, on Batman the Animated Series as a whole... They have an objective that makes sense and a way you understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's never like a villain of the week that has an evil plan to have an evil plan. It's like, you know, the old advice when you're writing a villain, like a villain in his, a good, a well-written villain in their own mind is doing what they think is good or right, they think achieving they're ends right. that make sense and... Like, that just shows how good the writing on the show in general is, because that's almost always the case. And they went into that. I mean, we got our hands on the Writer's Bible. I think it's available online. You can actually find it. I feel like it's been passed around for the last decade or so. But within that, they had a very clear idea of what they wanted. Yeah. And again, that's, that's another thing I love about the show is especially seeing it during its initial run. It's like an, it's an introduction to ambiguity. The idea that he is a vigilante, he's not best friends with Commissioner Gordon, there's no bat phone, he's someone operating with his own set of rules, he's not entirely good, the villains aren't entirely bad, it's uh, just unusually sophisticated for a cartoon, especially at the time. Do you think that that tapped into something for kids? Do you think that that darkness and skirting that edge of things is appealing to kids more than we think i think so i mean i can't speak for all kids but even i remember watching it and this is going to make me sound like a uh 
demented little child, but like any episode where Batman would get like angsty and frustrated and smash stuff in his bat laboratory or you know, break a plate glass window or something. I remember Well great, my shop window was broken by Batman again because he threw a tantrum. <laughs> he do, he does throw a lot of tantrums on the show. Like now it's sometimes kind of funny, but I still love it. But I remember as a kid I, I was a very quiet, kind of introverted kid, and by all accounts had a very happy childhood, but I remember getting a weird, vicarious emotional release, like watching Batman struggle with his demons and smash stuff and get upset and try to figure out his place in the world. It's uh, So I don't know if that resonated with uh, all the kids that were watching it, but definitely for me there was some sort of... It, it was nice to see a show where people were frustrated and it seemed motivated. Hey guys, it's me, interrupting myself because I am the only host. In just a couple of minutes, Harry and I will get into the nitty-gritty of this two-parter and talk with Murphy Cross, the voice of Two-Face's wife. But first... A word from our sponsor. This anniversary, treat your loved one with the greatest gift of all. Tickets to Gotham's second favorite musical, Dancing Two Face. Dancing Two Face. Dancing Two Face. Dancing Two Face. Two, two, two. Dance, dance, dance. That's right. The Toe Tapping Tony Award loser is back in town for one final run at the Crime Alley Playhouse. Relive the drama. Harvey no. Savor the giggles. I'm your therapist, hypnotist. My therapist? What's the gist? Harvey, please, now just sit back. Fixing you will be a snap. It's a snap. It's a snap. It's, it's a, a snap, 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 snap. Now you're snapping. Now I'm snapping. A snappity snap. A snappity snap. The Gotham Post gave it a 2 out of 10 stars. That's bad, but it's better than 1. We're talking about Big Bad Harv. About Big Bad Harv. We're talking big, bad, hard. The biggest, baddest, hard that ever did hard. Stunning, intense, and spectacular. These are words, just words, that have no relation to this musical. I've got a smile. And I've got a frown. I look up. I look covered in acid. My skin's white and your skin's blue. And I'm a DA who got exploded with acid. But But when faced with the son of a gun, two faces are better than one. I hate Batman. Two faces are better than one. I really hate him. Two faces are better than one. Use offer code covered in acid and receive a two for one discount. Yes, that's on purpose because it's a Two-Face thing. Dance in Two-Face. More Tommy guns than Tommy and more Two-Faces than Face-Off. Tickets available now under the old crate in Crime Alley. You know, the one full of hypodermic needles. Okay, let's do it. Let's dive into Two-Face Part 1. I'm going to do my best to stick to Part 1 first and then dive into Part 2, but I have a feeling it's all going to bleed together. What struck me about this episode more than anything else is this is a kid's show that barely features Batman, that mostly focuses on a man having a mental breakdown (laughs) in various ways. And on top of that, 
it's just about a guy, a campaigning politician. Those are not things that should be inherently interesting to kids. No, but... But it is. Even as a kid, I love this one. There's so little Batman in it. It plays like a weird mashup of an episode of Law & Order, Citizen Kane, and like a Twilight Zone fever dream type scenario. Well, it opens with Harvey Dent's nightmare. We see Harvey running away from Two-Face in the shadows. Yeah. And there's that wonderful... I mean, look, this the animation in this episode is particularly good. With the beam of light coming yep. down on the on his hand with the coin. <clears throat> it's incredible. And there's something very creepy about it. Also, the fact that you're getting introduced to Two-Face before you even see Two-Face. Or mm. Big Bad Harv. Talking about dream sequences, I'm, I'm already derailing this by talking a little bit about part two. But watching the two of them back to back, something I thought was interesting... In part one, you get Harvey Dent's dream sequence opening it. Mm-hmm. In part two, you get Batman's dream sequence about yep. his guilt over what he's done to his friend. Well, it's very much <clears> the <throat> first episode is about Harvey Dent. The second episode is more about Bruce, <clears throat> at least a little bit. About, about yeah, his, his relationship with Harvey and the idea of letting another loved one down. I was honestly a little bit... I don't know if it's disappointed, but I was like, oh, man, they should have started episode two with that Bruce dream sequence. Yeah. Uh, there's no good reason other than like, oh, I like the symmetry of it. That's kind of cool, but they still got it in there. Yeah, and something that I thought was interesting about it was just the different way that it was visualized. And I know that two different animation studios executed the episodes. Right, episode I believe TMS a... did the first one, and Dong Yang did the second. Yeah, and they had different directors, but... I love the difference in the backgrounds, you know, in the first episode, Harvey's dream sequence, the backgrounds are this weird, hazy fog. It shows like his mental ambiguity and just, there's nothing specific about it. It shows not to psychoanalyze a cartoon character. Oh, don't worry. There's an entire podcast that does that for this series. I don't have a degree in psychology, but I'll talk about it anyway. Yeah, here we are. So the backgrounds in Harvey's dream sequence are all hazy. It's kind of this weird, cloudy, surreal, vague landscape. And then you see Batman's dream sequence in the second episode, which is this twisty German expressionist painting of Gotham. And it's really angular. Interesting. I don't know. It just struck me because Harvey's dream sequence is all really soft. It feels like Harvey has buried things in a way that is more ambiguous like he's doing his best to not see things with clarity he's trying to pretend to be this good guy and push away the other thing whereas batman is defined by this monstrous event which is in blinding clarity that is the thing that he is driven by right and it's when you see his angular trippy dream sequence version of gotham it's so graphic the lines are so clear you have to think, okay, this is how he probably just sees Gotham all the time. Absolutely. This that Batman POV. A bunch of building monsters. <laughs> like they really do look horrifying. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's what's interesting about the, this first episode. It's all about this, this good man who's being taken down. God, I love this episode. I remember even as a kid, this was one of my favorites. And part of it was because, especially part one, it's scary the well the dream sequence itself is scary like that's something that's scary to kids and adults yeah but what always got me was the transformation 
Like, I love the little teaser you get of what his face is going to look like when he's in the psychiatrist's the office. Flash. The lightning flashes, and you get, like, two or four frames of the Two-Face uh, visage highlighted. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's really cool. But I remember seeing this for the first time. I didn't know what the Two-Face design was going to be. I wasn't sure if the character... I, I remember watching this and covering my eyes when they're taking the bandages off of him because I wasn't sure... Okay, is that like a multi-stage thing where eventually he's going to look like the classic blue Two-Face and right now we're going to see something horribly mangled and terrifying? Like, the show was so gritty, even as a seven-year-old, I wasn't sure, oh, are they going to get away with scaring the hell out of me? Or The scariest parts of this episode, and, and it's maybe scarier than, I don't know, many of the other episodes, is Harvey Dent is a real person. And all of his, it's his rage. I mean, they, they really highlight that pretty expressionistically with the red background that just comes in and changes around him as his face clenches and he looks like he's maybe about to diarrhea. Um, <laughs> Two-Face's two weapon is Harvey's rage. Like Harvey is, it, it's kind of terrifying the way he, you know, it, it's always somebody pulling, he's about to punch them in the face and they're holding him back. Or even later, Two-Face is holding a banker's lamp. Like he, he uses blunt objects in anger and it's not just a cool weapon. You know, his gimmick is fun, but deep down it really comes from this really raw, emotional, scary place, which I remember as a kid, especially in Two-Face Part 1, that was the scariest thing. It's this sweaty man who's about to beat the shit out of people. In a business suit. Someone who's supposed to look respectable. I mean, and this is a testament to the animation, especially in the first part as well, talking about how he almost flies off the handle and punches people. Yep. I mean... We've talked about how the show is violent and that you see punches contact and that the fight sequences are impactful, but the way they hold Harvey in that wind-up pose before the punch when he's really going to lose it. He's about to beat the crap out of that... Uh, well, it happens a couple times, but when he's going to beat the the criminal right outside of whatever Gordon and those the news reporters are there to cover the scene. Yeah. Some but crime. The way they hold on that wind-up you let your mind run with it, and you really get the feeling that, okay, punches get thrown all the time on this show, but that punch that he's about to throw is going to fuck that guy's face It's going to go through his head. It's it's terrifying. And I mean, part of that is Richard Mull's voice performance. Richard too. Mull, let's talk about let's him talk about for a him. second. He is insanely good. He might be one of the best voice mm-hmm. actors on the show. Yeah, he's amazing. The Harvey voice and the Two-Face Big Bad Harv voice... They work so well together, and neither one of them feels like neither one of them feels stagey. Or no, like they're not a put on. He's a, he's just a great actor. Yeah. He some of the actors on the show really know how to utilize. I feel well, the show itself they they really did focus on hiring television and film actors over voice actors, which you know has its pluses and minuses. But for the most part, I feel like it helped the naturalism. And there are really some stage actors who could stage or film actors who could really step up to the VO plate and Richard Mull was one of them. Yeah, especially in an episode like this that's so character driven and is essentially about his breakdown. If someone had played it more over the top, it wouldn't resonate the same way. No, and I don't know how he gets away with it too because like his reads are so subtle. I, at least as a kid, I 
I didn't really think twice about, oh man, Two-Face is my favorite voice actor in my brain. That's the Two-Face I hear just as much as Mark Hamill as the Joker. Yeah, that's another thing about the show. Like, even now, reading the comic books, regardless of what iteration it is, Mark Hamill's the Joker in my head. Richard Mull is Two-Face. Bob Hastings is Gordon. That's interesting, too. Talking about Batman and the villains being windows into him mm-hmm. and the whole question of, okay, I mean, it's been asked a million times, but does he create the villains by being such a crazy presence as a vigilante? Talking about voice performance in this episode, Kevin Conroy and Richard Mull are both doing two different voices. Yeah. And one thing I love about this episode is listening to Conroy as Bruce Wayne, you know, He's got his light Bruce Wayne voice, and then he's got his his, bat, his gritty Batman voice, and the Batman voice is clearly the real character voice. I mean, people have said that talking about the show a million times, but the places where he chooses as Bruce Wayne one-on-one with Harvey Dent to slip into that lower register and be honest Bruce slash Batman, I think it's really interesting which moments he picks to do that. It's just fun listening to two actors each playing a Jekyll and Hyde. Like you got you got two actors, four characters, all playing in this weird, fucked up psychological nightmare. Well, and think of speaking of psychological nightmare, one of my favorite scenes of Two Face Part One is when we really see Big Bad Harv for the first time unleash on his psychiatrist, who's sweet little old like lady. Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist. A little of bit. It's voice. like her crust with Granny from Sylvester and Tweety. Yeah. Like, I love the way characters are drawn in this show. It kind of changed as the style became more streamlined. You know, you got a lot of rubbery stuff in the first season, but I like how, it's going to sound weird, but I like how big all the guys are. Oh, yeah. Like, especially Harvey. Harvey's Har- Harvey huge. in his business suit, he's like just a huge powerhouse rectangle. Like, you believe that if he would fly off the handle, he could punch through your head. There are three graces could fit in one Harvey based on their design. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about the most important part of Two-Face Part 1 of all. It is when Batman says, Harvey, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For some reason, our entire friendship, that's the funniest thing in the world to say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and it's weird, too. I guess it just means we're horrible, non-empathetic people because that's like... I think it's kind of a weird delivery although when we were re-watching it I think it might be because he, it looks like if, he's saying why yeah if you, if you haven't seen the episode in a while it's of course the moment where the big vat of chemicals explodes and Batman runs over and flips the newly two-faced two-face over sees the horrible burn and his eyes widen and he goes Harvey no but it's a weird read there's something simultaneously really sincere about it which i think is what <clears throat> that's what i like about it it's yeah. sincere but it's also kind of funny and like you said the the lip sync doesn't quite work his his mouth doesn't make an o sound when he says no maybe it was animated like he's saying why and then they looped it or something i don't know but uh, there's really no good reason for us to find it funny no, except, I mean... It's now, a horrible thing to happen. It's yeah. the part... We, I mean, you were describing it as, like, one of the best animated sequences in an already well-animated episode. Yeah, it's an amazing shot. And, again, when I was a kid, that's the part that scared the hell out of me because I never... 
you know, it's like the face of the monster that they tease you with seeing. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, God, are they going to show it now? Are they going to show it now? I think what's funny about it more than its inherent uh, existence is just the fact that it it's the repetition of it. The fact that for whatever reason, we both thought it was silly and it's become this thing that we just keep saying it was memorable i guess that's what it is is yeah. that it's a really intense moment in the show and when you're you know 10 years 20 years later you're like harvey, harvey no. no and then when you watch you're like oh god harvey no <laughs> yeah it's like it's funny in my head when i think about it but then when i watch the episode and get sucked in it works it's it's a crazy moment well let's get ourselves sucked in to two-face part two it's taken us long enough to get there Whew. Uh, so this episode, we talked a little bit about it already, but uh, if part one was Harvey's nightmare, part two is kind of Bruce's. Bruce's dream. Bruce's just... dream. Finally, a new villain to fight. I can't wait. One of the things that it immediately starts out with, I think, room 222. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we jump, we just dive straight into Two-Face 2 stuff. The goons are always interesting. That's what I like about this show, that... The, even the henchmen, you may not know their name. You may know their name. Like, there's Germs, the hypochondriac one from Feet of Clay. Was, uh, Ed Bakley Jr. Yeah. voiced him, right? That's what I read, uncredited. <clears throat> Two-Face has two identical twin goons. They look like look mutated like... Ron Howard. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. We heard the we Ron Howard twins. We didn't compare notes beforehand, but... Uh, we yeah. did compare brains. <laughs> Mutant Ron Howards. Get me two mutant Ron Howards. Yeah, I, I was wondering when I was watching the second episode. I mean, the whole thing's so over the top in such a good way, but it does call into question. Did he put an ad in the paper for, like, twin henchmen? Looking or? for twin henchmen who already own Tommy guns, so I don't have to build that into the expense. <laughs> two faces budget. One thing we haven't really touched on is Rupert Thorne. And, he, you know, he's a big part of the first episode, too. But it's he's a great villain. Yeah, he really is. That's another one of the strengths of the show is it adeptly handled stories about more grounded crime underworld type characters, the bookies, the gangsters. There are stories with, you know, none of Batman's classic rogue gallery. It's never too late. Yeah. Is one that comes to mind. It's a great one. Um, and Thorne is such a great specific character. He's so unctuous. John Vernon's voice read, his voice acting is always incredible. And again, even as a kid, like it didn't matter whether it was an episode with the Joker or Two-Face or just like a gangster story with Thorne. And the writer's Bible (laughs) went out of the way to mention that. They said, look, you can, don't be afraid to write a story about gangsters or corrupt businessmen or, you know, the mob. Yeah. And Thorne is such a good... I mean, he's the true villain of this two-parter. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, Two-Face, you know, emerges as a villain, but he's still much more sympathetic. Thorne is just, uh, you know, a greedy asshole. Yeah, Thorne is evil. That's an interesting thematic trend in Batman, too. You've got Thorne creating Two-Face. You've got Roland Daggett creating Clayface. I guess anytime there's a bad guy with face in his name, there's some sort of corrupt human uh, gangster at the yep, root Mr. of it. Yep, Mr. Freeze face. Killer Croc face. We could do this uh, for hours and people wouldn't be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> Baby doll face. But Thorne, he, is, he really is interesting. And 
his henchwoman, Candace. I don't know, henchwoman? That sounds like politically incorrect somehow. Yeah, I don't know what her official title is. Hi, I'm a shitty person who hangs out with a mobster. She's totally a co-conspirator. Almost all of the stuff that happens in the episode is... If if if, uh, if Thorne is the impetus for the plan, I feel like she's the one coming up with all the logistics. She's and... doing the dirty work. She records <laughs> Harvey Dent's psychological, you know, his session yep. earlier, then plays it in front of all of Thorne's friends. I thought that was an interesting moment. This is going back to Two-Face Part 1. But when Harvey is humiliated like he was as a little kid in front of all of Rupert Thorne and his cronies laughing at him for thinking that he hurt somebody. Yeah, and you get that weird, that great weird POV shot of everybody laughing at him and the room kind of spinning. It's like, oh yeah, this just goes back to a little boy in the schoolyard that was getting picked on. A couple of little boys working out their troubles, Batman and Two-Face. Rupert Thorne's henchwoman, Candace, uh, looks like Lois Lane to me. <laughs> yeah, she looks like Michael Jackson to me. Evil Lois Lane, Michael Jackson. Let's call her that from now on. <laughs> E-L-L-M-J. Uh, E-L-L-M-J actually does show up later in Bane. Does she? I don't yeah. that. She, it's a Rupert Thorne episode. Bane comes to town and Thorne hires him to do stuff. And Bane basically is like, no fucking way. I'm Bane. I'm going to take over. He, and she, she immediately switches, teams. switches to Bane. Yeah. Except that I think the episode ends with Batman recording her or something, secretly recording her. And then she's, you know exposed to Thor and he's like well I may not be able to put her in jail but at least I might get her killed by a mob boss <laughs> talking about Batman's code of ethics <laughs> they are a little wishy-washy sometimes yeah but again at the end of Two-Face part two I love the bit where the chandelier falls on Thorn there, there's there's always a well-placed chandelier uh, yeah, and that chandelier is going to be hollow in the center. Yeah, not just hollow, but like big enough to fit around Thorn. He's a fairly sizably drawn character. What do you think he is? He's like three, 400 pounds? I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, 300. The way they draw Harvey Dent, he's probably 300 pounds. He's a 700-pound man. <laughs> he's a 700-pound gorilla. <laughs> he's as dense as they come. As dense or as dent? Oh, my God. We got it. We got the best joke. But yeah, when he's trapped with the chandelier, then Two-Face swings around and pulls the gun on him. There's that moment where it really does seem like he's going to pull the trigger. Oh, it Absolutely. Because you, he's flown off the handle so many times, we've seen him follow through in the first part. What I want to see is him holding the gun, pulling his hand back to throw a punch with the gun. Just, like, yeah. just gun punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I got gun punched by Two-Face again. What a day. Every villain looks cooler in a trench coat. Can we talk about that? Yeah, when Two-Face is looking for the files and he's got the coat and the hat. Yeah, that's right before he tries to attack Batman with a lamp. Mm -hmm. The trench coat and the hat. I mean, again, it's just that whole dark deco noir thing. I think they throw the Joker in that and the Laughing Fish and Killer Croc in Any that baby doll team up in the new Batman Adventures. Yeah, anytime the Joker's got the flat hat, it's cool. The honest truth, and I'm... It's probably sacrilege to say this, especially on a Batman podcast, because I love the show, but Two-Face Part 2 is not as near and dear to me as Two-Face Part 1. Why uh, is that? Well, part of it part of it is the animation style, and it's not really fair to say, because I've become an animation snob. I'm sure this wasn't the case when I was initially watching it. Two different animation studios. The, the animation in Part 1 of Two-Face is so good, 
from both. I remember noticing that as a kid, though. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, I mean, I remember seeing the, str- like, what was it? The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne. Oh. I haven't seen that one probably for a few years, and I remember it being pretty poorly animated. Yeah. Everything was off-model and rubbery. But Two-Face Part 1, both from, like, a character acting standpoint in the animation, as well as just the lighting, the angles, and things being consistent and on-model... It's just all around a great episode, especially what stands out for me in that one are the lighting effects, like the use of shadow, both when the lightning is flashing and then there's like some POV shots where Two-Face is looking for the mirror and you see his shadow come over the shelf in the hospital to pick up the mirror. It's like it's like a primer for how to shoot a film noir. Two-Face Part 2, you know, that's more, that's more of a superhero episode. There's more action. It's... Yeah, the first episode, the most action is Batman trailing Two-Face, and then nothing happens. Yeah, he puts a tracking device on a car, and then the like cut to the commercial break. Or no, the, that was the cut to the to be, to be continued? No, it was the cut to the commercial break. To be continued is after we see <coughs> Two-Face for the first time. Right, but like the big cliffhanger before the midway commercial break is just the car with the tracker on it driving Going through the tunnel. Going down a tunnel. <laughs> great. But it works so well. The second episode, it's still great. It's like the it's the perfect conclusion to the story. Animation's not as good. Things are a little rubbery. Things are a little off model. And Batman finally getting the villain and Two Face getting his comeuppance aren't quite as satisfying as watching a really dramatic portrayal of a guy having a complete psychotic break. Which is strange, right? Because I remember liking it. I think as a kid, I did like part two because I liked the, you know, the decorated villain. Yeah. But I think now it's far more compelling in the first part. Both are great. Yeah. And they both hit like that dramatic punch at the end when, uh, at the end of part two, when Two-Face gets taken away and Batman throws the coin in the fountain. That that works really well, yeah. but it's not quite as sad as Two Face looking at his fainted fiance and saying goodbye, Grace, and then just the shot of the open hospital window with oh, the lightning flashing. It's so sad. It's like the episode could almost end there and just be a standalone. A standalone episode. Two Face shows up later. Yeah, but they're both great. Grace is a much bigger part of the second episode. Yeah, and Grace is an interesting character. Both of the episodes, especially uh, towards the especially towards the end of the first one when Two-Face essentially gets unmasked, it goes almost into 50s horror movie territory, which again, I love cuz 50s horror movies are super near. And I mean, it reminded me. me of that Twilight Zone Eye of the Beholder, although with an actual punch. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than... Rather than something you see coming from miles away. Well, no, now we know what the ending is. I always knew. Talking about Grace and the ending of that episode, it gets into this almost horror movie territory, and I feel like a, a less well-written character. It just might have been too horrific. She might have been disgusted and slunk away, or, you know, his disfigurement becomes the end of that relationship. But no, Grace is a cool person she's a good person who accepts him despite all of his anger issues despite everything that's happened there's a lesson for the kids what's seriously what's that lesson accept people accept people for yeah for who they are despite what they may look like on the outside yeah give people a second chance and going into part two i think that her character dilemma is really interesting where everything's pretty damn relatable it's relatable and it's relatable and complex 
Mm-hmm. You know, she isn't shallow. She isn't taken aback by his appearance or even like a... It would be rational at this point to be taken aback by his actions. He's full-blown criminal at this point. She's still willing to come see him face-to-face, and she has this dilemma of, okay, do I tell the cops or at least the gangsters that I have been tricked into thinking are the cops? And ultimately, you know, it goes to why the villain motivations are so good. Everybody who does anything on the show, it's written in such a way that their actions feel motivated. She's just a complex character yeah you relate to i don't know what i would do in the scenario i mean if anything the fact that she calls the cops it's such a tragic moment it when when he finds out and she finds out she's been duped everybody's trying to do the right thing and he still gets screwed over yeah it's so sad it reminds me this is getting a little hyperbolic but it reminds me of like the all is lost moment in any sort of greek or shakespearean tragedy where everybody is doing what they think is best but it's all this big misunderstanding and this cruel twist of fate in a weird way um and that moment where he looks at her and she tries to embrace him and he just pushes her hands away and also batman is a hero who just tries and fails in this episode yeah nothing nothing really ends right in no this, in 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 the classic superhero saves the day happy ending type thing. You're just left unsettled. You know what it reminds me of? I was trying to think of like what the ending of Two-Face Part 2 reminds me of. It reminds me of the ending of the movie 7. What is what is the head in the box in this scenario? It's this is really tangential, but there's this look that Morgan Freeman gives at the end of 7 when he opens the box, realizes that John Doe has the upper hand. And it's just this moment of crisis. And that's what it feels like at the end of Two-Face when you find out that she tipped off Thorn's goons completely unwittingly. And Batman Forever stole the coin ending. (laughs) It did? Remember they just throw a bunch of coins in the air? Yeah. Well, that's something actually, if I'm going to call out Batman the Animated Series... That's kind of become the go-to defeating Two-Face ending. They do it again in, uh, in Second Chance... Oh, really? Yeah. In Two-Face Part 1 and 2, it's great because they set it up, actually. They foreshadow it as organically as you can, a plot device like that. Sure. They find it when they're robbing Thorne's uh, bookie joint. They go, hey, some silver dollars. And he goes, okay, take them. And that happens within the first three minutes of the episode. And then you forget about it, and it comes back, and it's satisfying. Uh, but yeah, in Second Chance, they're fighting on the top of the construction site. And... He just flips another. Co- is it one that like? Is it a trick coin? It's Was a, that? It's a trick coin, but I believe there is also another bucket of silver dollars that Batman either brought or is on top of the construction. Okay, well, uh, one of these days, this bucket of silver dollars is going to pay off. Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't the gimmicky utility belt like with the Adam West version with shark repellent, but he does have about six hundred silver dollars in there. Yeah, that's pretty much all he has. Yeah. Probably he just throws him. coins at people. <laughs> He goes for the smoke, the smoke bombs. They don't call him Coin Man for nothing. Yeah, that was a funny thing. Reviewing the uh, the writer's bible, they specifically talked about how this show's version of Robin wasn't going to do uh, bad puns, and then he does. He, I mean, I'm sure that I think. Well, he does it a couple times. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't nearly as egregious as it might have been, and I, I mean, anybody that knows us knows that we both love puns so yep i'm in no way complaining i definitely giggle every time he says they don't call him batman for nothing christmas with the joker 
I think it's interesting that Two Faces Lair is far for a cartoon is far less over the top than Joel Schumacher's take on Two Face. Like I was like, oh yeah, they probably have this like crazy dilapidated one side and light on the other, and it, no, it's just light and shadow. Yeah, it's a subtle split. There's one thing I really like about his lair, the design of it in this episode. Actually, the doors leading into it, it looks like it might be like it might be an old restaurant or club or something, and it has those. Uh, double- it is a club. Yeah, it has those double doors with the round porthole windows, and it's the subtlest thing, but the first entry you get into the lair, you see the doors open and then close, and one of the windows has just like a little crack in it. It's not it's not one door that's white and then one door that's covered in spikes. It's just, yeah, two doors and one of them's busted. Two-Face probably got frustrated and... Yeah, if we know Harvey, if we know Big Bad Harvey, he threw he's a gonna, punch. He's gonna throw a punch at something. If it can't be a person, it's gonna be a portal window. Yeah, yeah. It felt like there was a lot of attention to detail in the show. And actually, yeah, it's funny you say that because all of the uh, set pieces in these two episodes are fairly understated and mm-hmm. realistic. The chemical plant doesn't have a giant <laughs> evil chemical monster made out of fiberglass on the sign. It all just feels like this gritty seedy industrial underbelly of a city that's falling apart. What do you think makes Two-Face one of Batman's most iconic foes? I think Two-Face is iconic out of out of all the superheroes. You know, Batman has always been one of the more psychological superheroes and I think that Two-Face as a character brings out interesting elements of Batman's psychology. The fact that you know, Bruce Wayne doesn't have that many people that are close to him. He's haunted by the death of his parents, yada, yada, yada. Harvey is a friend. It's Two-Face is a redemption villain. And I think that's really interesting in the context of Batman because that's ultimately what it's about. He wants to redeem Gotham and he wants to redeem himself. Yeah, and I mean, there's in that nightmare where his dad looks up at him and says, <laughs> Why, why didn't you, you save, save us, us, Bruce? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, anytime, anytime there's a personal stake with a villain, it's interesting. The fact that Two-Face and Batman both have alter egos that were friends. It's the same reason that the other strongest villains, in my opinion, are the Joker and Catwoman. Let's talk real quick just about some of Harvey's dialogue or yes. Two-Face's dialogue. When he's in his lair, all of the characters are written with such great specific voices. And I love his little monologue about when when Grace shows up. Well, he's a DA, too. Of course he's good at talking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's good at lawyering. Order, um, like dichotomy and chaos. Yeah. And again, another testament to Richard Mull. He takes a monologue that in lesser hands could be fairly hyperbolic or melodramatic and... He underplays it in such a way that it just really works. And the vocabulary is, it feels loftier and, and smarter than most other kids shows. Yeah, I mean, he's basically talking about having severe obsessive compulsive disorder <laughs> in addition to a split personality. And the way that that impacts at the end is great, too, when he's basically just psychologically broken because he doesn't know how to make a decision anymore and just descends into weeping. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Nothing cooler than a grown man in a three-piece suit on the floor sobbing. Yep. 
That's a 700-pound gorilla we like to call Harvey Toofy-Dent. Toofy. Ah, Toofy. All right, well, thanks, Harry. Thank you. Will you close it out with a Harvey no? All right, I'll give you, I'll give you my best shot. Harvey no. So, did that turn your brain to mush? Did it get too spicy for you? Well, I've got the perfect remedy for it. That's right, it's time to wash down that spicy with a cool glass of Murph. Yep, uh, what I'm trying to say is that we're going to close out the show with our final segment, an interview with Murphy Cross, the voice of Two-Face's wife. Harry Chaskin, and we have today with us very special guest, an amazing actor, Murphy Cross. Woohoo! Woohoo! That's her woohoo. Uh, you did the voice of Grace. How lucky for me to, right? to do that. Yeah, with Richard Mall. You're you're the heart of the episode, I think. It, without Grace, there really isn't anything to redeem him. She's kind of a, a a sweet lady. Yeah, and you brought so much warmth to her. That's something I was thinking rewatching it. It becomes after the setup of the first episode and the second episode when you find out that she unintentionally ratted him out to right. Thorne's guys. It feels like such a betrayal. Such like, a tragic moment. And she's only trying to do the best for him. It was a gift, basically, to be able to do that. Because I'm really not a voice actor. I, I, uh, I did a few things over the years, but mostly I was a guest star and stuff on a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, what's your background in general? Well, my background is I started as a dancer in New York. I did uh, a chorus line and a bunch of shows, Pal Joey and a bunch of shows uh, uh, as a dancer, but all, always wanting to be an actor. And I, I did a lot of commercials and studied a lot of acting. And yeah, so it was a big, big old lucky job for me to get because um, when I first moved to L.A., I met Andrea Romano, who is like the most important woman in uh, voice acting. Yeah, she's incredible. As, she, yeah. I mean, her voice direction on this show, I think, is part of the reason why it's so amazing. Yeah. Yes. Even before I knew who she was, I remember just kind of subliminally seeing her name in the end credits of over and every over. cartoon I was watching. Yeah. She worked on all those Warner Brothers cartoons at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah all right. The, and before that, Brothers. she started working. She was with Gordon Hunt over at uh, Hanna-Barbera. Hmm. That's who she sort of learned from. And so she, before that, she was an agent. But anyway, she's like the nicest lady How in the world. How did you meet her? I met her through a group of friends uh, in this er in this neck of the woods in Silver Lake. She was just a good friend. She was a like family at the time, you know. And she was there when my kids were born. What was your familiarity with Batman the Animated Series? Oh well, it had just come out. I mean, it it, it was like I say, it was the tenth episode, so I really didn't know anything about it. I knew that Kevin. Conroy did the voice of Batman, and I knew that Andrea um, was directing all the voice actors, but I didn't, I didn't really know. I really didn't, except for that it was a new voice. It was a new animated series that was that was happening. And what was the when was the last time that you saw the show up until recently? Probably in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool though. I love. I know. I understand why people really like it. How is Kevin Conroy. He's so cool. His Amazing. voice was just beautiful. I mean, and it, it just made you think that everything was going to be okay. Uh, did you, have you met him before? I, you know what? I, I might have met him at like a party or something, but I had never worked with him before. And then 
years later, I ran into him. Andre had this great party in New York, and he was there, and I heard his voice, and and it, it just took me back, you know, to those to that time. I, I gotta ask, does does the real Kevin sound closer to the Bruce Wayne voice or the Batman voice? Oh wow, I don't. I guess more to like the Bruce Wayne voice, hmm. yeah. But and what a handsome man! He's so handsome. He's dreamy. <laughs> He's dreamy. Kevin Conroy, dreamboat. <laughs> you heard it here first. He sounds like Bruce Wayne. Uh, so, do you remember how you were cast in the show? What the process was? You mean, did I have to read for it? Yeah. Did you or did Andrea? She's like, hey, I, I would love for you to play this part. I think maybe, maybe she just said. You, you got this part. Because, I mean, like I said, I was doing a lot of acting back then. Mm-hmm. So um, you could sort of count on me. I'd be okay. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't fuck up. Oh, I mean, can I say fuck? Oh, yeah. You can say fuck as many times as you want. <laughs> We're <laughs> all about freedom, aren't we? Oh, yeah. We live in America, baby. <laughs> freedom. Kevin Conroy's a dream boat, and we can make a two-faced musical. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That sounds great. <laughs> Here we go. We'll go to Broadway. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think I just went in and did it, and so which, what ta- was... which is really kind of cool because That's amazing. a lot of times, you know, when you have to audition for things, you you just suck, you know. But when they give it to you, you go like, oh, I'm pretty good, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I can do this. I bypassed that horrible process. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think it was Keith Carradine that said he never got any part that he auditioned for. Yep. I know. Me and Keith Carradine. <laughs> yep. You two are the same. Uh, so when you got cast on the show, did you know what kind of a show it was going to be tonally? Like, this is a pretty dark show for kids that has a lot of, like, the acting is not goofy or kind of over-the-top, zany, kind of classic acting in a cartoon of that time. Yeah, they really, I remember it was specifically authentic. You were supposed to be authentic, you know. You weren't supposed to be over-the-top. Like like you say, um, and actually it's so funny because my my ex husband was also in the episode. He played a thug. He's all over it. It's and he plays a reporter. He you know um, Matt Landers. Matt Landers played yeah. Frankie the thug. He's in a couple of Two Face episodes. Yeah, I think he comes back. He comes back. Two Face is around. Yeah, yeah. It's very funny <laughs> to hear him and because I remember when we did all the oh and the oh, he would he had to do that a lot because it was. He, um, oh, I shouldn't say, because it's funny though. He was he, he was over the top a little, so she brought him back a little. Grace wasn't being thrown around as much as Frankie the Thug. No, I never, <laughs> I never got thrown around. Damn. Actually, Grace did do one, one thing. Yeah. She fought Rupert Thorne's uh, kind of hench, hench, hench woman. lady. Hench yeah. la- I don't know who she, who she was. Yeah. Candace. I think her name is Candace, and yeah. she was just kind of like a, she was just kind of like a shitty mean person. And there's that great bit where Grace. She like grabs her by the hair and then kicks her in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, did I? Was I in that one? You were. You were. <laughs> it was. It was the finale of Two Face Part Two, and you know, like uh, the mobsters are duking it out with Two Face, and oh, they're all right. duking it out with Batman, and then Candace, you know, the mobster's assistant. She starts to do something, and Grace just grabs her by the hair and kicks her down. So there's probably some good Grace Grace effort noises in there. Oh my yeah. gosh, I, I I totally missed that. I forgot to <laughs> big look. Big bad at... Grace. Yeah. Watch out, you know, big I, bad Harv. I can be very tough. Yeah. Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Grace face. Oh my god. Grace face. <laughs> <laughs> if if Two Face and Grace got married and hyphenated their name, 
I now Grace pronounce face. you Two Face and Grace Face. Oh, that's. I funny. was thinking about that rewatching these because there's the part where Batman gets kicked in the ribs and there's this moment where he's staggering up and it was three or four extended grunts from Kevin Conroy, but they matched so well. And they oh, were yeah. the most dreamboaty and beautiful grunts. He you even ever grunts hear. really dreamy. Right? <laughs> I bet he takes a beautiful poop. I'm going to say <laughs> Kevin Conroy has a moody, great, beautiful poop. <laughs> I'd marry that poop. I'm going to go marry his poop, guys. <laughs> Did you guys know that when you signed up for this podcast coming on here that I was just going to talk about Kevin Conroy's poop the whole time? <laughs> I thought that I, was the podcast. I was just hoping. <laughs> yeah, you were fingers crossed. Honestly, your fingers just uncrossed. You've had them crossed the entire time you've been here. Well, this episode was number two face, right? Uh, yes, this is number two face. Oh. Two face poo face is the name of the episode. Uh, absolutely going to happen. Uh. So when you recorded, I know Andrea kind of, she, she prefers, at least from what I've gathered, to kind of get everybody in a room together if possible. Were you able to do that for this episode? Yes, we were all together for that for that episode, I remember, and and I I had known Richard uh, from back in Night Court days when I played. Uh, I think the character's name was Mary, who gives her his neighbor who gives him her baby to take care of, and then she leaves. So Bull has a baby, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I come back at the end to to get the baby. Very contrite, but um, so I knew Richard from there, and what a great. What a great voice actor he is. He was incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. He, he, it was funny because later, years later, I choreographed a movie that he was in. Huh. It was called, I don't even know if it ever got released. Called Dancing Two Face. I yeah. was about to say the exact same joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Two Face wears tap shoes. No. Oh, man. I would watch that in a second and wear one black shoe and one white shoe, and it would be great. <laughs> so, with everybody, I'm just curious just what the room was like. Doing doing the read for this episode. Yeah. Did you did you read it all the way through? Mm-hmm. It was like a radio play, or go scene by scene, or we rehearsed it all the way through, and then we we did it all the way through. And Andrea would give notes, and then we would do it again. And she's really amazing. I mean, she knows how to control a room and really set the tone for it. She doesn't put a lot of pressure on you. You know, she really just allows you to be who you are, and brings that. Yeah. She's just, I can't say enough wonderful things about Andrea. She's just this great lady and with the with the best laugh in the world. She loves to laugh. Sounds just like the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Andrea Romano and the Joker, I've never seen them in the same room before. <laughs> well, Murphy, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for coming in and talking about it. You were wonderful. This was great. And I love, I just love that I, I love that I feel really grateful that what I did years and years ago as just kind of a job, you know, affected a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it wasn't me. It was the series and the and the, the beauty and the greatness of the series. But I salute you both. Thank you. We salute we you salute as well. We salute you back. That was a salute. We saluted. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Another Batman the Animated Podcast in the can. And by can, I'm talking about somewhere in the ether because there is not a can that you can put a podcast and. I really tried too hard for the rhyme. 
Coming up, I'll have a preview of next episode, and trust me, you're gonna want to stick around for that. But first, if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to Batman the Animated Podcast in iTunes. Share it with friends. Share it with your grandma. Share it with Batman. Do you know him? I'd love to meet him. Also, follow the podcast on Twitter at BTAS Podcast or follow me at Hey Justin for updates. There's also a Facebook fan page for you Zuckerberg heads and a SoundCloud version of the podcast for you cloud people. As always, if you worked on BTAS and want to be on the show, I'd love to hear from you guys. Email me at BTASpodcast at gmail.com. If you listeners want somebody in particular on the show, let me know or tweet at them. I mean, you know, be respectful. They're human beings. But also, let's get Kevin Conroy on the show. Am I right? Next time on Batman the Animated Podcast. We'll be diving into my all-time favorite Scarecrow episode, Never Fear, featuring the voice of the Scarecrow and the reanimator himself, Jeffrey Combs. You know, you get in those booths with people and they have incredible voices and they're really putting everything into it, you know, and, and, then, it's, and, and then it's like, yeah, but this guy's sort of kind of quiet. It's going to be a good one. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, Casey Trela helped produce the theme song, and Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. A huge thanks to Zach Reno for composing and singing my supremely dumb Two-Face musical, and Ian Pfaff for playing that sultry-voiced announcer. Can you say sultry about a man? I just did. I'd also like to thank my guests, Harry Chaskin, Fiona Landers, and of course, Murphy Cross. Murphy has a show called Me and Ella that's touring around Florida, so if you're in that area, go check it out. A big thanks, as always, to Kevin Conroybot, and last but certainly not least, thanks to This American Life co-founder Tori Malatia, who once mistook Steve Harvey for Harvey Firestein, and Steve told him, You're talking to the wrong Harvey. To which Tori shouted, Harvey, no. That's it, guys. Join me in a couple of weeks for more Batman the Animated Podcast. I've got a smile. And I've got a frown. I look up. I look covered in acid. My skin's white and your skin's blue. And I'm a DA who got exploded with acid. But when faced with the son of a gun, two faces are better than one. I hate Batman. Two faces are better than one. I really hate him. Two faces are better than one. My face is also your face. And my face is also your face. I've got two faces. That's the number of faces we have. That's why they call me Two-Face.